Lori here, and welcome to the Awakening Moments podcast. Grab a cup of tea and let's spend some time together. My co-host Rhonda and I are ordained ministers working together at Life Center Church. We are leaders, wives, moms, and longtime friends. In this podcast, we hope to share some meaningful moments from our lives, everything from lessons we've learned the hard way or how to rise up in the midst of obstacles and insecurities. We will encourage you to take risks and remind you that you are deeply loved and completely worthy. Let's awaken life's most amazing moments together. Today's episode is one of the workshops from Heart Conference 2019, an amazing message on awakening hope, how to hope through life's unexpected turns. The journey of life is full of promise, adventure, and challenges. None of us know what tomorrow holds. We enjoy each day and make daily investments as part of our preparation and hope for tomorrow. When we come upon unexpected turns in life's journey, how do we ride out the storm? When it seems like our life's journey is passing through a whiteout with zero visibility, or we suffer a loss that seems irreplaceable on this side of eternity, how do we learn to trust the eyes and provision of the one who holds our tomorrow? Our speakers in today's podcast are Toju Ogunremi and Nancy Bloodworth. Toju is a scientist and health researcher with a specialization in microbiology, public health, and synchrotron science. She has over 20 years work experience within academia, industry, and currently in the federal government. Toju grew up in a Christian home and had a personal encounter with the Lord during her teenage years, which led to an insatiable hunger for more of him. She loves to study the Word as a lifelong learner and writer. She has a deep passion for God's presence and a desire to live a life surrendered, allowing the Holy Spirit to transform her and those around her. She and her husband, Deli, have been married for 23 years, and they have a teenage son and a teenage daughter. Nancy Bloodworth is a passionate follower of Jesus, high school teacher and women's speaker. Nancy has lived out what it means to be beautifully broken through the unexpected turns of life. Her story is filled with radical hope and anything is possible with God. She experiences miracles in the ordinary and chooses joy every day. Nancy has a passion to share her story of hope with women because she knows that God is a God who restores. Her leadership empowers women to step out of their circumstance into the purposes of God. God has given her the ability to see hidden treasure in life's darkest valley. She's a leader at Life Center Church, serving in small groups, hosting services, teaching, and in women's ministry. She is a mother of four, and her passions include running, swimming, family time, teaching, and sharing her faith with everyone she meets. Let's awaken hope together as we look to God, who is able to redeem the irredeemable. So, I'd like to introduce you to two, two incredible women. These women are just so amazing, and their soul, their faith is so inspiring that every time I speak with them, I leave with a word of encouragement, wisdom, 
or hope. And it's enough that I think I'm going to start taking a notepad every time I see them. I don't, I don't want to mess any of it. So without further ado, what I'd like to do right now is say a prayer for all of us. So let me start. Are you ready? Yeah. Heavenly Father, your grace and mercy and love is overwhelming. We praise you, Lord, because every day you carry us in your arms. As we listen to what Nancy and Toji will share, meet us in this moment. Renew our hope, remind us of your love and faithfulness, and change us from the inside out. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. I grew up in church. Serving, community, and faith were a part of my life from very early on. And in my teenage years, I got to know God for myself very intimately and personally. I grew up in church as well, knowing of God, but never knowing God through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Though I hungered for that connection, I only knew religion. My parents helped to shape my faith. Dad was a man of integrity, and Mom was the most selfless person I had ever known. They inspired me to a greater faith in Christ. I met my husband, Kevin, uh, in my mid-20s. He was like no one I'd ever met, and he loved the Lord wholeheartedly. Eventually, he led me to the Lord, and the Lord led me to his heart. My husband, Dilly, and I lived in Saskatoon for over 16 years, and our children were born there. Um, we enjoyed the presence of God in our church services, very close friendships inside and outside the church. But in May 2007, our family moved from Saskatoon to Ottawa and started attending the Life Center. It was a very tough, hard move for us as a family, but um, we quickly felt at home at the Life Center. I came to Life Center for the very first time in February 2005 with my husband and our oldest of four children, who was barely a week old at the time, and this was home. In fact, um, it was home, but I didn't know it yet. I didn't know a single person in the church, so I decided to join a young moms group, and eventually that led to some different life groups and some Bible studies. And over time, my roots grow deeper in Christ. In 2004, when dad died, my husband and I had a strong desire in our hearts for mom to move from Nigeria to Canada to live with us, but she wasn't ready for this. She had a very strong and deep network of extended family, friends, church family, not to mention that she definitely preferred the weather over there. <laughs> In 2008, uh, my family and, and I received a bit of a blow. Uh, it, my life took an unexpected turn as my husband, Kevin, was diagnosed with a brain tumor, a cancer of the brain, and though the prognosis was bleak, God stretched his life out well beyond the few months that he was given by doctors. And as the years unfolded, my husband's health slowly declined, and I really needed desperately God's people to journey with me for the race ahead that would require a great deal of endurance. Dele and I met Nancy and Kevin while they were in the midst of a courageous journey with cancer. Nancy continued to navigate the rough seas of Kevin's health decline. In January 2016, Nancy and I were paired to co-facilitate a small women's group. The group met weekly. 
we journeyed and prayed together. And at home, Daly and I prayed for Kevin's healing, healing and for Nancy and her family. And in March of that year, 2016, right around this time, actually, my husband's health took a turn for the worst, and it began to rapidly decline. At 10.30 p.m. on April 12th, Holy Spirit told me I should drive to Nancy's home to pray with her. I made my way across town to her house, as my husband made his way back, having just been there to pray over Kevin. Toju was one of five women who stood with me on the darkest night of my life. And she prayed with me, sang, and worshipped as my husband began to fade away and passed. As I learned of Kevin's passing the following morning, my heart was heavy. And I continued to lift my sister up to the Lord. On the other hand, at the start of the next year, our family was really excited because mom had finally agreed to spend most of her time with us in Canada. And I saw my decade-long dream of caring for my mom in her old age actually falling into place. Um, And we started making plans for her next visit to coincide with my son's graduation from high school and my daughter's provincial track competitions. And mom was beside herself because she was a well-acclaimed track and hurdle athlete herself. Now on April 22nd of 2016 still, once again on a day I needed prayer warriors to be gathered around me, Toju was there standing with me at Kevin's celebration of life. And for the next year... God used her as she continued to walk with me in the aftermath of my loss. She encouraged me through prayer and through friendship. The Sunday before the first year anniversary of Kevin's passing, Nancy's heart was heavy. And I prayed with her at the end of the church service. After the prayer time, I checked my phone to see several missed calls and messages from my brothers. Upon arrival at home, they let me know that mom had been in a terrible car accident on her way to church that morning and she died the shock was indescribable toju's grief in her sudden loss was familiar territory for me and it brought on an understanding that required few words and it triggered an immediate response to pray for her in the same way that she had held me up in prayer we decided to have a celebration of life for mom at the Life Center before heading to Nigeria for the funeral. And on April 22, 2017, we drove to the church for the event. And as we went, I read Nancy's text to me the night before, only to realize that on the same day a year prior, I had attended the celebration of life for her husband, Kevin. And now, exactly a year later, Nancy was attending a similar event to honor honor my mother's life and legacy. And she was encouraging me as I had done her. So we simply don't know when life is going to take an unexpected turn now, do we? How do you find hope in the midst of an unexpected turn in your own life? Do you stay the course and do you walk the hard edges of the dark valley you're in confident? in the God who meets you in the depths 
and whose hope isn't floating at the top, but whose hope is rooted in the bedrock of our lives? That's the question. And so I want to look at today a little bit as we begin to talk about hope, how our culture views hope. You know, our hope in our culture is commonly uh, used to mean some sort of wishful thinking. A lot of times we have these silly little rituals like we cross our fingers or we throw a penny uh, in a fountain, right? And we, we may have even found ourselves saying things to other people out of compassion such as, well, I hope you feel better. And I hope you have a great week. And I hope things work out for you. But in those statements, we also leave God out. And so how do we find God in the storms of our life? In fact, oftentimes that is where we find God, in the storm of our life, right? Those are the moments when we realize that we're desperately in need of him and that those moments actually propel us to a greater faith and to a deeper relationship with the Lord. And it's in the hard times of life that we are awakened. There's an awakening in us that takes place. There is a hunger and there is a desire in us to move closer to Jesus rather than away from him and to hear of his word and to draw near to his heart and maybe even dare to ask, is there hope in the midst of what I'm going through? And you know, in the storms of life, I'm going to just give you a bit of an illustration. In the storms of life, our culture may say this, but I'll tell you what. We don't need a fistful of wishful helium-type hope that will rise quickly and maybe give us a false sense Right, that it will carry us into the future because that kind of hope will be tossed to the right and to the left as the winds change. It's going to rise and to fall depending on our circumstance. You see, hope is more than an anticipation of something we desire. It is actually a confident expectation It's the assurance of something we're believing for, a conviction of something we haven't seen yet. And in the Bible, hope is the confident expectation of what God has promised us. And its strength is in his faithfulness and not in my faith in him. Because the moment I take my eyes off of God and I put my eyes on my circumstance, my faith It will rise, it will fall, it will be shaken, and it will waver, much like these balloons. So if we keep our eyes on his faithfulness through his word, then we will be strong. Our faith will be strong. But if we keep our eyes only on our own faith, then really all we see is a picture of ourselves, and that's not a good picture. One thing that we want to make clear today is that God is not the author of evil He's not the author of the hard things we go through. We know that there is a thief who has come to steal, kill, and destroy, but we also know that Jesus has come to give us life and to give it to us abundantly. And essentially, he came to destroy the work of the enemy and to redeem everything that is broken in our life. And the enemy's ultimate goal, ladies, is to steal your hope. And to cause you to forfeit your savior, your purpose, your loved ones, and 
possibly um, your physical life if you allow him to. But God has a last word, and he doesn't only have the last word on our last day. He has a last word in our every day. He will take what the enemy has stolen from us. He will take what the enemy intended for evil, and he will turn it around for good and for a glorious purpose, and he will be glorified in the midst of it. The Lord has a grand plan for each and every one of you. In fact, in Jeremiah 29, 11, God declares, the Lord, he doesn't just say, he declares the plans he has for you. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope, the hope we're talking about today, and to give you a future. And yes, there will be trials. Yes, there will be hard. But he redeems us every single day time. You know, many are the afflictions of the righteous man or women, woman, but the Lord delivers him or her out of them all. And so I want to talk to you a little bit about who I place my hope in. Who do we place our hope in? Who do you place your hope in? You know, in the natural, babies are wired to look to their mom. And there's many of us women in this room who are mothers. We are mothers. And so we know a little bit about this by experience. You know, we know that when babies are born, they naturally gravitate uh, towards their trusted mom. They trust their mom just naturally. It's an instinct for their needs, right? The one who carried them for nine months, the one whose voice they heard in the womb, they recognize that voice. The one who seems to understand their needs, the one who would give up anything, who would sacrifice for them, then how much more does the one who created us, who dreamed us before he formed us, how much more does he want the very best for us? So in the spiritual, we're wired to look to our creator. We're just naturally wired that way, ladies. He is our heavenly father. Psalm 71.5 says this, For you have been my hope, sovereign Lord, my confidence since my youth. You know, when we're in the storms of life, and maybe some of you guys or some of you ladies are in storms right now. Maybe you see a storm coming and it's inevitable. You see it. You cannot detour. You cannot avoid it. Or perhaps you're coming out of a storm right now and you are walking through the wreckage and the devastation of what it's left behind. And you know, some of those hard things that we walk through, they look like this. They look like the loss of a relationship. Some of us are maybe going through a divorce, about to, or just coming out of one that has devastated our lives. Perhaps it's a life-changing diagnosis, infertility, a financial disaster. Maybe it's a wayward child who's ran away from our family, and even more so God, right? A family conflict, loss of employment, death of a loved one, the changed state of health of a loved one oftentimes is like the death of a loved one. A disappointment, even entering into a new stage of life, that can be overwhelming when there's great change. But when things come into play, these things come into play, and they certainly do. We want to know that there is something that we can stand on, something that has true heavy weight that we can stand on when we hit the very bottom of whatever situation is unraveling all around us and in our lives, right? That even though we feel like we may be sinking to the very lowest point, that 
even in that low place, there is a bedrock for us to stand on and for us to build from. And even the thought of that, that perspective, it puts a whole different, gives a whole different meaning to hitting rock bottom because that's the kind of hope that rises. It's not the kind of hope that floats up. This is the kind of hope that rises. And so I just want to say this one verse. Listen carefully because this one was, it just relates so well to the analogy. It comes from Isaiah 28, 16, and it says this. So this is what the sovereign Lord says. And he says this to you. You see, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. And the one who relies, the one who stands, the one who leans, the one who is rooted in the stone, on it, will never be stricken with panic. So when hard comes, you want something that can sink down to the very bottom of your desperation, that you can stand on in the right now moments of life, but also in eternity. And hoping in the Lord is not just for a someday. It is for every single day. The hope of Christ offers resurrection power to you and to me all the days of our lives. It is a hope that cannot be destroyed. And there's, there is a scripture that I know carried me many times over when I was walking through the last few weeks of my husband's life. And I want to speak that into you today. It comes from Proverbs 1.33, and it says this, Whoever listens to me will dwell secure. Whoever listens to me, whoever gets into my word, will dwell secure and will be at ease without the dread of disaster. See, when we're in a hopeless situation and circumstances are out of our control, our natural human tendency is to gravitate towards something that will give us an ease, that will offer ease and maybe a false sense of security in the midst of the uncertainty that we're walking through. Isn't that so true? Our culture looks to things that are going to help, you know, lift us up, cheer us up, rise us to the top, so to speak. But that kind of hope is found in momentary things. There are things that are short-lived, and they, they will fall. They are not things that heal the aching of our hearts or that satisfy the longing of our soul. But there is a hope that's found not in something, but it is found in someone. It is a living hope. This hope has a name, and his name is Jesus. And he may not always remove the disaster, but I'll promise you something. He will remove the dread. The dread comes when we lack confidence. When we lack confidence. But security comes when we have deep-rooted confidence in the one who holds it all together. Amen. So we know who our hope is. But where do we find him? Where do we go to find hope? Psalm 121, verse 1 says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. You know, God is omnipresent, but there's a place that leads you to intimacy with him. Um, 
if I wanted to visit with Nicole, I would rather, if I wanted an intimate visit, I would want to sit face to face with her. And that's what we need to do with the Lord. Psalm 119, 114 says, gives us a key where to find hope. You are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. So hoping in the bedrock in God is pretty much synonymous with hoping in the word of God, in the Bible. And that's where we go. We need to live it. We need to breathe it. It is critical to our lives. And you know, the Lord put an immeasurable value on his word. Listen to Psalm 138, verse 2. I will worship toward your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word above your name. Now, your name carries your authority and it, it, it carries your reputation. So if I were to drop some names, you'll have a picture right away. Obama, Trudeau. <laughs> you know, you, you'll just get a picture. And God said, I have exalted my word above my authority. Everything under his authority, he chose to do it. He chose to do it because he's not one of those leaders that would change what he has said. If there's a rule, if there's a promise, you can trust, you can rely on it. And he said, that's how solid. So that kind of tells me I need to get to know this word. If he has given it such authority and such prominence, I need to get to know it. And, you know, if you think about sin, and in the Bible it says the, the wages of sin is death. Well, mankind fell, and he didn't change it. He just simply said somebody has to pay the price because that's the cost. And who paid it? We know who did. He did. What did his son, right? So what, what can we get out of the word? Well, we know that the word never changes. It's immutable. Okay, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. We know that it is living and it is powerful. And we know that it's the instruction manual for life, right? Um, all scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction. So you see, when we, when we go through a trial, um, the Bible is actually a manual for how to walk this out. Um, we need to recognize that we're not just going through a trial. We're in a battle, okay? We're in a battle. And as a matter of fact, we're standing on the battlefield. And if you're standing on the battlefield, you're vulnerable. You're vulnerable. And so, you know, the enemy doesn't just leave us alone just because we're wounded. Um, because his assignment isn't over. He's there to destroy, right? So we're wounded, but yes... The Bible tells us, be alert, be sober, because your enemy prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking the one that's wounded and isolated, right? So we need to be on guard. We can't curl up and give up and fall asleep on the battlefield. Who does that? We can't. We can't do that. We can't do that. So you know what? There's a time to mourn. There's a time. I get it. I get it. But we don't mourn like those without hope. There's a time to deal with the shock, and there's a time to deal with the horrible news. But you know what? We don't sign the papers for delivery of anxiety, hopelessness, depression. And I'm not talking about health problems. I'm talking about related to a trial. We don't sign those papers. We return them to sender. Okay? Because we're on a battlefield. 
We're on a battlefield. And Ephesians 6 tells us how to fight this battle. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his mind. And it tells us to put on our weapon. It tells us to put on, it's a spiritual battle, it's not a physical battle, and put on our armor. Put on and pick up our weapons, right? And it describes what we need to be empowered for this battle. And that's what Jesus did when he was tempted in the wilderness. So you need to know your weapon before you can effectively use it. Listen to this quote by Abraham Lincoln. He said, give me six hours to chop a tree and I will spend the first four sharpening my axe. When you get into your word, you're sharpening and you're ready for when it occurs. When the unexpected turns do occur, have you predecided to not make a U-turn? A lot of times that's what we want to do. We want to turn right back around. We want to back it up, right? And it's not a matter of if trial comes or an unexpected turn may come. It's a matter of when, right? And this is, it's just an inevitable part of life. And Jesus speaks to that in John 16 when he says, in this world, you will have trouble. You, it's, we're going to have trouble in this world, all kinds of trouble. But that statement that he makes is followed by a greater statement of hope because he says, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Right? In other words, he's saying, don't lose sight. Right? Don't give up. Don't be crushed underneath your circumstance and certainly don't crumble under the pressure of being hard-pressed. Unexpected terms come with an element of shock. Most of the time there is an element of surprise, right? But what we should be isn't surprised. We should be ready. That's what we should be. Because what we do in the plateaus of life between the mountaintop victories and those long and dark valleys, what we do in those plateaus, right, is just as significant. It is just as important as how we respond in the trenches. And so when the storms of life do hit, remind yourself of some non-negotiable truths, non-changing truths. This doesn't change. God is good. His word is true. He is for me. He is for you and not against. He loves me enough to pay the ultimate price to sacrifice his life in place of mine. And he will never leave me nor forsake me. So know those truths to the core of you. Predetermine, make it your resolve to never leave him. He's never going to leave you. He's never going to leave you. He says it. And if he's with me through things, he's with me, then I want to be able to say, I, I not only just am with you, but I choose to do this with you. I desire to do this with you. And so not only will I desire, but I will praise you with all of my breath, the breath in my lungs through it. And another thing that I want to just speak into you is don't go at it alone. You need God's people to journey with you. There is no way I could have gone through eight years of caregiving for my husband without God's people. It's never too late and it's never too early to invite people into your journey no matter where you're at in it, right? They can enter your life 
in it, before, before it, during it, after it. But they will join you in that suffering, and God brings people alongside of you. So reach out and accept help from trusted friends and family, from trusted people who reach out to you. Let them help you carry your cross. You know, your circumstances may differ, but allow Jesus to be your common denominator. There's a story in the Bible that I, I love, and it talks about four friends who helped their paralyzed friend when he could not do something alone. They lifted him onto the rooftop of a crowded house where Jesus was teaching, and they made a hole in the roof, and then they lowered him right in front of Jesus so that he could receive his miracle. Ladies, let me tell you that no one lowered me through a roof, but I will tell you that there were many friends. And on the night that my husband passed, there were five amazing women that God just handpicked not to drop me down a roof, but to lift my heavy heart to the one who holds it together and who gives breath to us, who resurrects us with his breath, even when the, the shadow of death closes in on a loved one. And so show up for one another. Because when you do, you become witnesses of a, a reality Right, witnesses of the reality of pain and suffering, but you also become a witness to the truth that the pain you're seeing, the sickness you're seeing, the suffering that you're seeing is not the whole story. These are momentary things. They're small things in comparison to the glory of God that's coming, that awaits us. So make a decision today. Choose him do life with people who are God's people and allow him to turn your pain into purpose. So what do you look at when you're in the middle of a storm? You know, after the unexpected has happened, eventually there comes a time when you're all alone. And this time may even come while you still have people around you. And um, you just have this unrelenting, recurring picture in your mind. It may be a dream lost. It may be an insurmountable tsunami of regret. It may be a situation you, could, you wish you could turn the clock back on, but you can't. Now, when this happens and it continues for a really long time, it's a signal. It's a signal that we need to be intentional about what we're gazing at because we're likely gazing at the wrong thing. You know, your eyes are the gateway to your soul. Your physical and your spiritual eyes lead your mind, your will, and your emotions. And so what you're looking at becomes what you meditate, and what you meditate eventually becomes what you say and what you do. You know, there's a story in Numbers 13 where the Lord spoke to Moses. And this was after he had delivered the, Egypt, the Israelites out of Egypt. He sustained them in the wilderness. And he said to him, send out 12 spies to go see the land that I'm going to give you. Just go, go check it out. I'm going to give it to you. Just go see it. We know the story. If you've been around for a while, they went to check it out, 12 of them. Now, 10 of them came back with a different report from the other two. And I liken this to if you had a parent or a grandparent who thought, you know, you really need a new car. I'm going to get you one. In fact, I've already arranged this, so you're going to pick it up in two weeks. So I just want you to go to the dealership and go check it out. So now when you get there... You're going to try it. You're going to you know, test drive it, do whatever. And your eyes inevitably will come to the price tag. 
you're not going to collapse. <laughs> you're going to say, wow, somebody loved me that much. Because you know it's no sweat off your back. You're not paying for it. That's what happened. He said, go check out the land. But they went. They checked it out. The land was excellent. The fruit was excellent. Of course, the men were giants because they were feeding on the food of the land that God put in there. Of course, you know. And, but they also looked at the cost, the large men. They were not paying that. God was. But two of them went in, and they didn't see that. They saw the land, and they said, this is good. <laughs> okay, God, we, we got this. You know, so what are you looking at in the storm? Are you looking at the cost of achieving that dream? What are you looking at? It's not your cost to bear. It's his. So whatever is pure, whatever is of a good report, in Philippians 4, 8, you need to think of those things when you're in the storm. So how do you walk through a storm? How do you posture yourself? I want to read a scripture over you because everything um, that we need to walk through a storm is found in this scripture. It comes from Romans 15, 13, and it says this. May the God of hope, hello, the God of hope, fill you with all joy and peace. Joy and peace as you trust in him, that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, the posture that all of us are longing to walk in in the hard moments of life, you just can't shop your way to it. You can't Netflix or social media your way to that. And it is peace of mind and joy. Peace of mind and contentment, right? God is the source of our hope, and he can make the very things that seem naturally impossible, supernaturally possible, even when we find ourselves in the thick of it, right? God is able to do exceedingly and immeasurably more than we can even imagine, and the posture that we need the most is contentment, joy, and peace. Because let's face it, depression, fear, and anxiety, right, can get a hold of us and they, take, they can take over. But the truth is that our situation doesn't have to be all happy, right, for us to feel joy. Happiness is something that we find floating at the top right here. But joy, joy is found right here at the very bottom. And so... It's saying, you know what, I've got a hard situation and things aren't going my way, but I've got something to celebrate today. No matter what, God help me to celebrate life today. And then we can, we can walk in a posture of joy and peace that surpasses all understanding when we trust God, simply when we trust and we surrender, right? We can fix our eyes on him. We can surrender control. And we can begin to speak with confidence over our circumstance, over our internal thinking, and over the people around us, no matter what they're saying, good, bad, positive, negative, we don't even hear that. We hear, we tune into God. We lean into God and away from the voice and the white noise of this world. You know, and many times we hope for an outcome that we haven't seen yet. We're believing for something, and a lot of times what makes that outcome even possible or a reality is not even within reach. 
But that doesn't mean that God isn't working in it, right? He knows the end from the beginning, and he doesn't need us to know the end for us to be willing to step into the beginning. And in our dark moments, oftentimes God will just allow us to have just enough light. The path will be dimly lit, but there is enough light for us to take the next step and the next and to keep on stepping. And this reminds me a lot uh, about the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego um, in the Bible because they believe that God was able to deliver them from the fire, but even if he did not, they would not bow down to any other God. So they were thrown into the fire, bound, and in there they became loosed while in the fire, and the Son of God was with them. The Son of God is with you in your, in your fire, in your heart, right? And they were not delivered out of the fire, but rather they walked through it. And there's a refining process when we walk through. They walk through it with the Son of God with them. And you can do the same because I promise you that nothing refines like gold, or fire, nothing refines gold or fire, or gold or silver like fire. And God will use your hard situations to refine you and never to define you, right? As you walk through the fire with Jesus, you become set free of fear and you become refined and you go through a process of perseverance. And let me tell you, in this day and age, in this culture where we have everything at our fingertips, you just pull your phone and you start tapping away and boom, it's an instant outcome. It's an instant outcome. And when we take a picture, oftentimes we can just click and delete, click and delete. We like it, we don't like it, we like it, we keep it, we, li- we don't like it, we delete it. Click, click, clickety click. And that is not the process that God wants to take us through. God is more like an old-fashioned photograph developer, right? He wants to go with us into the dark room where you have to dip your actual picture into different chemicals and there is a process of development that happens along the way and that's the process that God wants to take you through because he has a clear and a crisp picture of the whole thing. He sees it all and on the other side of that process, he will show you, he will reveal to you what that looks like from his vantage point. Amen. So do I worship while one did? You know, to worship God is to believe he is who he said he is and uh, to, to rightly value his worth. And I don't know that as created beings, we actually have the capacity to rightly value his worth. You know, King David said, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. You know, when we're wounded... Worship can often feel like a huge sacrifice because we're weak. You know, it can feel like a place of weakness. But is it really a place of weakness? You know, in Second Corinthians, we see the scripture, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You know, and there once was a man who lost everything, seven sons, three daughters, all his property in one catastrophic day. I've never met anyone who has named their child Job. Have you? (laughs) (laughs) Nobody likes pain. 
Listen to this, Job 1.20. Job arose, and he tore his robe, shaved his head. That's a sign of mourning. And he fell on the ground and worshipped. That's what he did. And I think to be able to do that, we need to change our perspective. So we're going to wrap this up in prayer. I just want to pray a prayer of declaration, a battle prayer. And we have copies of this prayer at the back, so you can pick it up on your way out. But I'm going to ask you to engage. I'm going to ask you to stand. And if you're comfortable, lift your hands to, this, to the Lord and just engage this prayer. Holy Spirit, we honor you. Come flood this place and breathe on each of us. I want to prophesy the infallible, incorruptible, everlasting word of God over every woman here today. In God, your hope is not deferred. The Lord will never leave you nor forsake you. He gives you a song of worship in your darkest nights. He gives you beauty for ashes. When you are weak, you are at your strongest in him. Every chain of the enemy holding you captive is broken right now. In Jesus' name. And victory has been released over your life. Holy Spirit will restore physical, emotional, and mental health to you. And heal all your wounds. Your Heavenly Father redeems the, year, the years that were lost in your life. He would give you a double portion of joy for your previous chain. His peace that passes all understanding rules and reigns in you. And you will not be shaken, nor will you fear sudden calamity. When you are broken, he will raise you back to life and infuse you with his mighty power. Your children and your grandchildren shall be taught of the Lord, and great will be their peace. The Lord himself upholds you with his mighty right hand. His plan and his purpose for your life will be fulfilled in every area. And as you journey through life, he will give you godly wisdom and clarity in decision making. The Lord fights your battle. Don't look at the price tag. His favor surrounds you like a shield. And you will see the goodness of God, not only in heaven, but right here in the land of the living, in your lifetime. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Awakening Moments podcast today. Like or subscribe to our podcast and share it with your friends. Follow us on Instagram at Lori Boucher and Rhonda.Corto. May you be awakened to the moments that matter the most.